Welcome to the Dr. Finlayson Fife Interview Archive. We are so glad that you're here. If you enjoy learning from Dr. Finlayson Fife and would like to immerse yourself in her content and learn from her in person, we would like to point you to the Art of Loving and Art of Desire retreats that she is holding in Oregon in September. If you're interested in learning more and purchasing tickets, please visit the website. The link can be found in the show notes below. We hope that you'll join us for one of these transformative experiences. This week's episode is a recording of Jennifer reading an essay that she wrote on selfhood, sexuality, and faith. You can find the full episode on the Breaking Down Patriarchy podcast, and a link to the essay that Jennifer reads can be found in the show notes below. Hi, everyone. I'm Jennifer Finlayson Fife, and I am an LDS marriage and sexuality therapist and coach. And I do a lot of work with LDS couples and women in particular around their integration of their sexuality. And I want to talk to you today a little bit about my view and experience of how patriarchies, or that is to say male-led institutions uh, such as our faith, impact women's sense of self and their relationship to sexuality. I think a lot about sex, although maybe not in the way that some people do. In particular, I think a lot about why people like and don't like to have sex, what ignites desire, and what suffocates it. As a therapist, I meet with people almost daily who are trying to figure out why they don't like to have sex, why their spouse doesn't like to have sex, or why their spouse does like to have it. It's an elusive question sometimes, as well as a painful one for many couples. My dissertation research focused on the question of LDS women's sexual agency, that is, LDS women's capacity to be actors in the sexual realm, to act on their own behalf in a context of sexual conservatism and patriarchy. While some LDS women thrived in my research, most of the women were undermined in their relationship to their own sexuality as they'd internalized a message that eroticism and desire are unfeminine and risky to their desirability, a trait essential to femininity. According to radical feminism, which was a primary framework in my research, patriarchies oppress women through gender role ideology. That is, notions of proper female comportment undermine women's relationship to their sexuality and to themselves. For example, in patriarchy, men are constructed as naturally dominant, assertive, strong, and inherently sexual, while women are constructed as nurturing, selfless, deferential, and virtuous. That is to say, women are taught that they are naturally less sexual than men inherently lacking hedonistic desire, and even morally superior to the supposed depravity of male sexuality. While superficially approving of women's nature, this cultural prescription leaves women little room to legitimately experience, express, or integrate their own eroticism. To be feminine is to suppress or disconnect from sexual desire, or feel ashamed of its presence. This theorized suppression of sexual desire and knowledge, theorized by the radical feminist critique, aligned with the experiences of most LDS women in my research. It also fits with much of my LDS clientele. 
In my experience, many, if not most LDS women struggle premaritally and in marriage to integrate a sense of legitimate sexuality and desire. Many women are naive about their own capacity for pleasure and allow themselves little room to explore and take ownership of this part of themselves, even when their husbands are encouraging and even when their husbands are encouraging and openly long for more sexual connection. This sexual immaturity can, of course, cause deep frustration with a higher desire marital partner. But a bigger problem in my mind is that it represents a fractured relationship with oneself, an unwillingness to be in a mature relationship with one's own body, one's own sexuality, and an important source of strength. While many LDS women struggle to claim and integrate their sexuality because of the cultural invalidation of female eroticism, other LDS women know their capacity for pleasure and may even know what they long for sexually but nonetheless lack desire for their spouse. What I want to talk about is the issue of women's selfhood, also deeply affected by patriarchy, as an additional factor in sexual desire. According to author and clinician Dr. David Schnarch, selfhood is a stronger determinant in sexual desire than biological drive for men and women. In Schnarch's thinking, it doesn't matter how much physical desire we feel, if we believe the act of wanting another person or having sex with them will diminish us in some way, we won't let ourselves want. Or conversely, if we believe having sex or wanting will add to our sense of self, we will desire. For example, it's easy to desire when we're dating because in addition to the libido-increasing factors of novelty and uncertainty that are inherent to an early relationship, we also perceive that merger with the other will add to our sense of self. The validation of our beloved's reciprocated desire makes us feel more whole, more significant, so we'll want. In marriage, however, Sexual merger with a higher desire spouse can quickly make us feel like we're losing ourselves through having sex, like one is capitulating to the desires and expectations of the other, folding into their reality and affirming them at our own expense. It isn't exciting. A man is no more willing to lose himself in chronic accommodation of his wife's sexual desire than a woman is to a man. This is why some men prefer objectified forms of sex, such as pornography over sexual intimacy with their spouse. There's less vulnerability, less perceived loss of self. That said, LDS women in a context of patriarchy and robust gender role ideology, in my experience, are more likely to feel like the partner with less power in the marriage. Many Mormon women have not only less economic and social power relative to their husbands, who function as providers and leaders, they are also more likely to feel pressured to forsake their desires to comply with what others want from them. This is part of women's prescribed goodness in church cultural thinking, her quote-unquote inherent feminine selflessness. As Elder Richard G. Scott said in reference to the many sacrifices that wives and mothers make for their husbands and children, quote, you do all these things willingly because you are a woman, end quote. While this accommodating role may give women status for being what is expected and may offer some security through pleasing those around them, women cannot earn through systematic deference to the desires of others a robust sense of self. Deferring to others' wishes in order to fend off criticism or scrutiny 
is not an act of generosity or strength. It is instead a reflection of one's inability to validate her own legitimacy, and it breeds resentment and stabilizes immaturity in marriage at a minimum. Plenty of women in this position have sex with their higher desire spouse. They are dutiful and accommodate, but they are not passionate. It's very difficult to make love to, open your heart up to, or desire someone whom you believe is above you or stronger than you, or that you perceive takes from you because you are unwilling to challenge them. Feeling like one exists for someone else's pleasure seldom inspires women to explore or discover their own eroticism and desire. It's too costly. If I come to discover or expose this part of myself, will I then be more obligated to you sexually? Will I be even more possessed by you because now I no longer have the excuse of a non-existent sex drive to fend you off? And if I reveal this part of myself, doesn't it just validate you as the stronger, more able one, the one who always knew I was sexually immature or repressed? Many women in the face of these questions would rather hold a sense of self by stripping themselves of their relationship to their sexuality, a very costly act of defiance to the loss of self that patriarchy demands. As much as many marriages have modernized in the church and function in more egalitarian ways relative to a generation ago, I'm still struck by how much the dynamic of inequality persists in many LDS marriages. While immaturity in marriage and the challenges to selfhood that marriage evokes are not problems specific to Latter-day Saints, the institutionalized support for glorified underfunctioning in women is indeed a cultural problem of our own. We need to stop acting like real strength in women undermines marriages and mothering. We need to stop embracing impotence in women as a kind of goodness, much in the way that we regard children as good, innocent, powerless, and harmless. We strip women of their strength and autonomy in the gender narrative and then ask men to take care of them. This may create an ethic of dependency and deference in women and therefore potentially less overt conflict in marriages. However, it does not, in my experience, create strong people, strong families, or passionate, stable marriages. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, we ask that you please rate and review the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from this information. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, follow the links in the show notes below. For more information about her online courses, live events, and her free Facebook group.